yesterday I came up here, um, I sort of had this what am I doing moment. That's our series that we actually wrap up today. It's called What Am I Doing? And uh, actually about six o'clock last night, um, I decided to come out and check the roads to make a decision on if we should have service. And, um, and I have a golden retriever who's my best friend. And a lot of people say, like, your wife should be your best friend. She is, but it's different. Leroy's my best friend. <laughs> um, that's true. Uh, she is my, actually, I didn't, this is my wife, Jessica, right here. Why don't you stand up? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Those of you that are new, this is her. Uh, so anyway, I, I got my dog, uh, Leroy. His name's Leroy, and he's a golden retriever. No, it's, no, it's Leroy. It's Leroy. He's named after a saxophone player from Virginia, so it's Leroy. Uh, true story, we lived in, I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but <laughs> we lived in the South for two years, and I had my dog, Leroy. They weren't saying that. <laughs> it was Leroy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I got Leroy, and I said, hey, let's, let's go check these roads. And normally when I throw him in the car, he just goes to sleep. Um, but I think he sensed how tense I was because I was driving from like 96, like out in the country, the Borculo area, where it's basically like one lane, the snow is closing in over you. It's like you've parted the sea, but it's about to collapse on you. And um, normally he goes to sleep, but I was driving and instead he was just like intense, uh, intense. So I'm halfway into that. And it literally was this moment you can't see in front of you because of the wind. And um, it's like, well, here we go. <laughs> it just kept driving down the middle of the road because that's all you had. And I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? So uh, this is our series, the final week of it, with those what am I doing type moments. Um, it works like this. Sometimes when you're trusting God and you're taking steps out into the things that he has for you, a lot of times you'll hit a moment of what am I doing? God, I feel like you called me into this. Uh, I, I feel like you spoke to me. I feel like this was your nudging. Um, I feel like you know this is where you, you've called us and placed us. But in there, from the beginning to the end, there's this moment of where you really just kind of stop and go, what, what am I doing? And um, we talked about it the last couple of weeks. You see that a lot in scripture. Peter was, was uh, feeling the nudge to step out of the boat. We all know the story, step out of the boat to walk on water. Uh, he wanted to go where Jesus was out on the water. And uh, he gets out there and he takes a look around at what's going on around him. And he has this, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be where Jesus is. He's called me to be out here with him. But now all of this is happening, and again, he started to sink, and we talked about how immediately the scripture says Jesus reached out his hand and, and called him to be with him, and then we also know that the scripture says that they walked alongside each other back into the boat, and, uh, and the story ends by saying it was the first time in scripture that the disciples actually said, hey, wow, Jesus, this really is the Messiah, because before there was this debate about it. Well, some say that he's this, some say that he's this. And I believe the reason they had such a revelation that he truly is the son of God and that that's Jesus is because they saw him do something impossible through a normal person's life. Uh, you have to check in, Holly. Yeah. The rule here is if your phone rings in church, then you have to go on your phone, check in on Facebook and give us five stars. So that's the, that's the deal there. Okay, good. Please do. Please stop listening to me and do that. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the deal. They had this revelation of, oh my gosh, he's the Messiah. Why? Because they saw God or Jesus do something in somebody normal. They said, wow, the, the way that he moved in your life, he, he is God. And it was this revelation. And of course, there's a lot more we can unpack on that. I'm just giving you Reader's Digest version. But there's these moments in God, you know, where, where you just go, 
what am I doing? God, I, I know you're with me. I know that you've called me. I know that you're for me, but I don't understand it right now. And that's why the scripture says that um, we can have a peace that surpasses understanding. So I don't understand it. I can't figure out the equation of it, but I have peace because I know that God is for me and that he's good. And, um, and so this is our last week of it. We're gonna talk about, again, what am I doing? What, you know, when you have this moment of what am I doing? My, uh, growing up, my parents used to always say this. I'm gonna come down because you guys, you're not gonna be distracted, but I am. <laughs> um, I was a youth pastor for eight years. And so I'm used to being distracted in the crowd with like, kids on their phone and teenagers making out and stuff, but that creaking, I haven't dealt with creaking floors before, so uh, you guys laugh like it was inappropriate, but they were your kids, so I'm like, <laughs> you're, you're like judging me, and I'm like, it was your kids, so anyway, so my parents always used to say, and probably still do, uh, but I'm old now, so I don't listen anymore, but uh, probably didn't listen then, but the old saying, you win or you lose by the way that you choose. You win or you lose by the way that you choose. And uh, I, I heard a leadership speaker say this once to us. I think I shared it a couple weeks ago. The largest gap in the world is between what you know to do and what you actually do. Successful people aren't that they're smarter or that they're this or that they have some type of advantage. It's usually the people that know how to close that gap. They take what they know to do and they do it. And you can apply that to everything. It can be your marriage. It can be the way that you maintain your car. Uh, I just bought a, a, a beater Ford Ranger because uh, uh, driving back and forth and my wife is going to start a different job. And so I needed something to get back and forth. And um, it's the same thing in car maintenance. You know, there's the things that you know that you need to do. And then there's the things that you actually do. And where you get in trouble is in the gap the things that you didn't do that you should have done or whatever. And it's the same thing in our life and especially in our walk with God. Uh, there's things that we know that God's called us to do and, and he's made important in our life. And especially at the beginning of the year, we set, we set our priorities and we set our goals. And uh, growing up, I had a leadership speaker always say to us, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. And, and we think, oh, that's a success. I, well, it's not a success because you ended up doing nothing. And uh, so that's why we have to set goals and we have to make priorities and we have to be strategic about what we want to accomplish in our marriages and with our families and in our walk with God and in our local church and all of those things we have to be strategic about. And the reason those are important is because they help you be successful. But I also believe that it's important to be that way because that's how God set up the structure of earth. The way that we get ahead or the way that we become successful and the way that we accomplish the things that God called us to do is in stewardship and decision-making. And uh, a lot of time we have this, what am I doing? And I would encourage you, um, go back and look at specifically, what are you doing? What is the purpose? What is your plan? What is your goals? Uh, write out for the year, write out what is it? What's the list? Uh, anytime we kind of counsel with anybody or someone's going through something, it's always the first talk. Uh, well, you know, we're not spending money right, or we're not, well, let me, let me see your money plan. I don't have one. Well, that's why you don't have what you want because you don't know what you want. You haven't wrote it out. So families and money and all those kind of things set the plan because the largest gap in the world is between what we know to do and what we actually do. And I think to kind of break through this, I feel like I've hit a wall. What am I doing? What you need to do is go back to the plan. What has God spoke to you? What is his plan? What are your values? And make sure you're walking those out. Um, the trick here that we're up against 
that the enemy's done a really good job tricking America with is how busy he's kept us. Uh, if, we're, if we're crazy busy and we're occupied with all of these distractions, then you're going to miss your purpose. You're going to miss your target. Um, if you can't see it because there's so much flying in front of you, uh, then you're going to miss your target. Check this out. Busyness, uh, this is a good thing to write down. I'm a note taker, uh, so I love to take notes and write things down because I like to study it all throughout the week. Busyness doesn't equal fruitfulness. A lot of times we just think, oh, boy, this was a crazy week. I worked so hard. We were just so busy. But if you sat down at the end of the week and kind of looked at your whole week and what was fruitful in it, it would be shocking for us to see how much of it was probably either a waste of time or a distraction from your ultimate purpose. Uh, activity doesn't equal accomplishment. Just because you're busy and you're active and you're going doesn't necessarily mean that you're accomplishing the things that you're supposed to accomplish. Uh, I heard this thought a few years ago from Luke chapter four, totally rocked my world. Um, there's a story of this. Jesus is in a town, and all of you know that he usually traveled from town to town, performing miracles, giving, uh, you know, teaching lessons, doing different things. And the uh, story goes like this. He was in a town, and people had come, and there was miracles, and there was healings, and all these kinds of things. And um, he, he, uh, he went off to a quiet place. You can find it in Luke chapter 4. So he goes off to pray. He's, he's kind of spending, you know, some time with, with, with God. And uh, the townspeople come back to him, and they say, hey, hey, Jesus, uh, we've sent word to other cities. There's a lot of people on their way here. And, uh, they're, you know, they, they need healing, they need provision, they need these things from you. And um, Jesus tells them in Luke chapter 4, uh, sorry, I'm leaving. I need to leave. I need to be on my way to Jerusalem. And if you read the New, New, New Testament, um, you'll actually see a lot of times the writers throw in there, on their way to Jerusalem, on their way to Jerusalem, because Jesus' ultimate purpose was getting to Jerusalem and the prophecies fulfilled and all that kind of stuff. So he says back to these really good needs. So, so there was plenty of busyness and activity that Jesus could have been a part of. Good people, real needs, coming to Jesus who could have met those needs. And he tells the people, I have to leave, I'm leaving. I'm leaving those people that are coming to see me with a need. And uh, that's hard for us to swallow because essentially Jesus turned his back on good need. And obviously we go, oh my gosh, that's like a shocking thing to say. Well, here's the deal. Jesus didn't leave him high and dry. There was the disciples and other people there to do the ministry that he trained to do it. But Jesus was prioritized. He understood the gap, the largest gap in the world is between what you know to do and what you actually do. He understood his ultimate purpose was Jerusalem. He had this filter of does this activity in my life line up with my, my calling, my purpose? And if it doesn't, then I need to be on my way. Again, I'm not getting up here speaking heresy like Jesus wasn't there for them. That's not the point. What I'm saying is Jesus even understood that there's times in our life when there will be good things that we could be a part of. And we have to say, you know what? It's good, but it's not the best thing for me right now. Because I think to be successful and to hit our mark and be what God called us to do, there's a lot of times that the enemy is going to try to distract you with good things, but it's not the best things. Trust me, in this world where we live, there's all kinds of good things we can be a part of. It, you know, we could be so busy with all these good things, but there's a God thing that he wants you to do in your life. Uh, I thought about it like this. If the enemy can keep you distracted, he can keep you from your destiny. 
So all the business of the world and our DVR and all the things that can keep us busy and busy, busy, he can keep us from our ultimate purpose. That's why a lot of times the biggest things that we struggle with is our past and our pride because nothing hangs you up more, distracts you more than your past or your pride. So here you are, you're trying to hit your mark, you're trying to hit what God's called you to do, and, uh, and all of a sudden, you can't see it the way that you need to see it because you're looking at it through your filter of your past, or you're looking through it the filter of your pride, and um, those things really hold us up because if he can keep us distracted in memories or in hurts, then we're going to miss what God called us to do. Somebody say right on. Uh, there's a seed called a redwood seed. There's these trees called redwood trees. And I believe that the way that God raises us up, and we'll talk about it here in a minute, um, is like what my parents said. We win or lose by the way that we choose. It's little things have big results in the kingdom of God. Um, there's these redwood seeds, and they lay. Uh, so out in California, some of you may have seen it or learned it in school. Um, there are these huge trees, these huge trees. They're called redwood trees. But the seed of a redwood seed lays, uh, weighs less than one three thousandths of an ounce. So it's actually this tiny little seed. But if planted, this seed, it has the potential to be one of the world's largest trees. In California, there's a redwood seed uh, tree called the General Sherman. It's 275 feet tall, which is impressive. Uh, it's the largest tree in the world in sheer mass. Check this out. If you were to cut down that tree, the General Sherman tree, you could build 20 three-bedroom houses out of the one tree. Uh, and you don't believe me, go on the internet and Google it. That's fine. Uh, but, but you could cut 20, you could build 23 bedroom houses out of the one tree. Um, the world's tallest redwood tree is 367 feet tall. It's five stories taller than the Statue of Liberty. But remember, it started as less than one three thousandths of an ounce. And Jesus referred to our decisions in life as planting seed because he understands what can happen with a seed, just one little thing we put in the ground and we trust God with. He understands it has the ability to grow into something incredible. Um, how many have ever, and you can be honest, how many have ever seen uh, the Adam Sandler movie, Big Daddy? Like where he's got the little kid. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, um, I don't remember much about it, so I don't know if I should suggest it or not. But um, uh, so here's the, here's the deal. Uh, in this movie, uh, Adam Sandler basically is this bachelor guy, and uh, all of a sudden he gets a knock on the door, and uh, child services or something like that uh, drops off a kid that they say is his. Well, he's a bachelor guy. He has no idea how to raise a kid or anything like that, and so he starts to do and make all of these decisions with this little kid. And so in the movie, um, you know, they're kind of on their way uh, to get food, and uh, they try to get into a restaurant because the kid has to use the bathroom, uh, so they can't get into the restaurant, and so the kid... Uh, Adam Sandler just says, oh, go on the side of the building. So he goes on the side of the building, doesn't think anything of it. And, uh, and then later um, in the movie, the kid like throws up and uh, Adam Sandler just goes and gets the newspaper and puts it over it, just covers it up with the newspaper. And, um, and then they go to the park and when the rollerbladers are coming down the hill, they throw sticks and, uh, at the rollerbladers and they of course trip over them and they laugh and have a good time. But then when they put the kid in school, of course, after a couple of weeks, the teacher comes to Adam Sandler and says, hey, I need to talk to you about your kid. He's like peeing on the building and he's just covering things up with newspaper and uh, he's throwing sticks downs with the kids. And so he has to unravel all of these things that he thought was not a big deal. And um, it's the same thing in our walk with God. 
Like a lot of times we just think, oh, you know, I'm a little off right here, but I can catch it up. And I'm a little off over here and I can catch it up. Um, but it becomes a big deal. You know, kind of the rest of the movie is like retraining the, the kid and kind of fixing it all. And uh, I think a huge thing for us is to understand that the little things, the decisions we make are like seeds and they have abilities to grow into something huge. Now, a lot of times in church, we use that as the negative. Oh, you're gonna make bad decisions and the devil's gonna get you. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying how awesome is it that we have a God who honors our good decisions. We make good decisions, though may, no one else may see them. God is up there honoring, saying, hey, good job. You made a good choice. You've made a good investment. You, you spoke into somebody's life. You encouraged them. You gave them a call when you knew they were down. You spoke life to them. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't enter into the jokes that the other people were a part of. You didn't tear down. You weren't negative. God sees that and then says, those things are going to grow in your life. I'm going to honor those decisions that you make. Somebody say right on. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And a lot of times that gets preached as like a negative. Uh, but it's a positive. Whatever you sow in a positive, when you make our good decisions, God honors those things. And uh, what I love about it is that even though people may not see it, you know, you can make a decision and your wife may not see it. You make a good decision and uh, your boss may not see it, but God sees it. And he's, all the, he's the only one that matters, right? I mean, if anybody to see it, it would be God who you want to see it. So stick in those things. Know that God is seeing and honoring those decisions. Um, this church, I'm telling you, for years, my wife and I, uh, we, we put seed in the ground when it was hard and when it was tough and we couldn't see it and the ground was dry and it was like, oh, I don't, what are we doing? But years later, uh, what God's been able to do um, has been incredible. I'm, I'm just, you know, telling you passionately, God honors every seed. Uh, it's been incredible. People that have come here from years ago that we never would have thought that have come and helped and got alongside us, we would have called it dead seed. We would have said, oh man, you know, we, we lost that relationship or we lost this or whatever. But, but God has honored like our relationships, investments that we've made together. And so stay in the fight. We live in a world that loves to tear down and plant negative seeds. I'm encouraging you, stay in the fight. Believe over your good decisions because God's gonna grow it into something great, amen? Um, I love the story of the, the, the woman. Uh, I can't read the whole thing right now, but uh, talking about how um, the, there was the treasury and uh, they're sitting there, and some people are sitting there, and the, the widow woman comes in, and this is found in Mark chapter 12. Uh, uh, the, the poor widow came in, and she threw in two mites, which make up a fraction of a penny. And then they start the conversation of Jesus says, hey, she gave the most. Why did she give the most? Because she understood that in giving all, it's not an about an amount. It's about an obedience, or it's an about it's about a heart thing. So Jesus says, like, hey, look, she just gave the most. And they're like, what? People have come in and given a lot. And she's saying, he's saying, yeah, but her heart was obedient. She was in it the most because little is big to God. Somebody say amen. We get caught up in, oh, we want to be the big stage people. We want to have the, I'm not going to do anything unless it's a moment, unless it's a, a big shining thing. We had crazy people here at six o'clock in the morning shoveling snow and like setting up curtains and all this kind of stuff. That's crazy. People don't see all that stuff, uh, but God sees it. And so we're all looking for this big moment with God. I'm going to have this thing and it'll be a big deal. But check this out. We all want to be the chandelier in God's living room, but we don't want to be the nightlight in God's hall. 
But can I tell you the nightlight has helped a lot more people from stumbling in the dark than the chandelier ever will. We want to be the big fancy thing. We want to be the on display. But it's that, it's that little consistent light. It's that thing that's saying, hey, I'm here with you when no one, no one else is. Amen? I'm going to have the band come up and play for a second. Kind of want to wrap this up with a couple thoughts. I want to encourage you in four things, uh, kind of as we walk this out. There's four things that I think are important. Yeah, we dance up here when he comes up to play. <laughs> we need a bigger platform. We need less people to come is what we need. Then we can make it. No, it's just a terrible idea. Um, it is a terrible idea. <laughs> Everyone's like, no, no, do that. Um, four things quick as we close that I think are huge when you think about how God honors our decisions. We win or lose by the way that we choose. Uh, being strategic about what we know to do and how we actually do it is important to God. Um, understanding that God honors every seed, even though people don't see it, God honors it and that's all that matters. Stick to what he's called you to do. So for you, if it's things he's called you to do with your family or in your workplace or in your church, whatever it is, stick to it because God's gonna honor it and it's gonna grow into something huge. But here's four things quick as we sort of leave that I think kind of make or break all this. Number one is you have to watch your mouth when you're making decisions and when you're trusting God. And the reason I say that is this, life and death in Proverbs 18, 21, it says, life and death is in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, one great writer says, you can frame your future by the words that you speak. God literally said, let there be water, let there be earth. He spoke things into existence and we're made in God's image. So, be, so that means we're the same. Be careful of what you say because it's what you'll have. A mentor of mine said, what's on your tongue is in your future. So if it's always the same old marriage or I'm always gonna be what my parents were, I'm always gonna, that's what it's gonna be. But if you start speaking life into what God has spoke to you and you start speaking the word over your life, you're gonna see change. You're gonna see things grow. I love this thought. A happy person is not a person in a certain set of circumstances but rather a person with a certain set of attitudes. It's not about our circumstances, it's about how we view and how we trust God in our circumstances. Number two, be consistent or faithful. Matthew 25, 21 says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things, I will make you a ruler over many things. God's design is that when we stay consistent in our families, in our marriages, in our churches, when we stay consistent in trusting him, he grows us. He gives us more. He empowers us with more. Check this out. God doesn't want perfection. God just wants our effort. God just wants our effort. A lot of times we get all caught up in being right and being perfect and being holy. God wants our effort. And uh, the rest, as we trust him, will work itself out. Uh, number three, in getting where God is calling us in the little and big things, be a giver. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, given it shall be given unto you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured out unto your lap, for in the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So if you're looking for increase in your life, if you're looking to, to see some things grow, you're believing for your business, you're believing for your families or whatever, you're looking for more grace and kindness, sow those things. Invest those things in people and in your kids and in your families, because the scripture says it'll be, it'll be given back to you. And then number four, um, a way to make things go from little to big is to have healthy connections, have healthy connections. Second Corinthians 
It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Here's what I'm saying. We love an unbeliever. I'm not saying, oh, stay away from those unbelievers. We love them. Uh, We're going to make room for them. We pray for unbelievers every day. Uh, That's our heart. That's why we're here. Uh, But your your closeness, your core uh, has to be somebody life-giving. And so you have to have healthy connections. And that's why I believe in the local church. That's why we're here is you come here and we worship God and we give him our best and we make connections and we drink coffee and we encourage each other and we keep up with each other during the week because that's what it's all about. Check this out. They did a study with two Clydesdales. One Clydesdale by himself pulled 4,500 pounds. The other Clydesdale by himself pulled 4,000 pounds. Combined, they should have pulled 8,500 pounds. When they combined them, they were able to pull over 1,200 pounds. Why? Because their strength, or 12,000 pounds, their strength, their strength in unity, their strength in being alongside somebody. That's why Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one. If one falls down, his friends can pick him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defeat them. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. My encouragement for you to see the little things in your life, to see the things that you surrender to God grow into something strong, you have to have someone along your side. You have to have a life-giving, what I believe, church and body and people encouraging you because it's a tough one out there. Like I said, we live in a world that loves to tear down. But this, this place is God's design to say, hey, we love you. We're for you. It doesn't matter where you are now, we'll get there because we're all a work in progress. So we say amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Why don't you all bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you say, hey, Pastor Josh, what you're saying is so me right now. I need to commit some of my decisions and some of my life to God. Um, You're in here and you've never made the decision to become a Christian. Or maybe you did make a decision and you prayed the prayer to become a Christian, but you've kind of fallen away. If that's you, I want to pray with you. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you forward. I'm just going to have you slip up your hand when I count to three. But I want to give you the opportunity to pray with you because the scripture says, when you call upon the name of the Lord, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And uh, so we would love nothing more than to be able to agree with you and pray with you and um, and see you uh, in the family of God, uh, a Christ follower. And so if you're here, you say, man, Pastor Josh, that's me. Will you pray with me? No one's looking around. No one's going to point anybody out. I'm just going to be the one to see you slip your hand up. So if you want me to pray with you, um, you'll stay right in your seat and we'll just pray right where you are. Actually, all of us are going to pray together at the same time. So if that's you, just so I can identify you, um, if that's you on the count of three, just slip your hand up. One, two, three. That's you. See that hand. Anybody else? You just say, man, today I'm making my first decision. I'm going to plant a good seed, and uh, I know God's going to grow it into something healthy. Anybody else? Awesome. All right, let's do this. Everybody repeat after me as I pray this prayer, and, um, and God is going to do awesome things in your life. So I'll repeat this. Say, God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Today I choose you. Forgive me of all my sins. I know that following you is the best way I can live. In Jesus' name, amen.